a struggle in mankind before God. But it's amazing to see God's redeeming power again and again. So last, last week we talked about how the first part, there's two parts in the book of Exodus. We talked about the first part of how God set the Israelites free. And the, the way he did it was, remember, it was a ten plagues. Not just randomly ten, but he wanted to ensure that the Israelites are free completely. Each plague defying one of the ten gods of Egypt. But the question is, you know, I don't know if you guys read, right after that, uh, Pharaoh changes his heart again. You remember that after he lost his firstborn, he was like, okay, that's enough. I think your God is too strong. Why don't you guys just go and worship him, right? But as the people are leaving, 2.5 million people are leaving his kingdom. The, his free labor now just picks up and leaves. He starts to wonder, no, I cannot let this happen. So he gets all of his army and soldiers, and they go after him. So as they're going for, instead of Israelites going around the Red Sea, they go straight to it, and they're stuck. But what does God do there? He does what he always does to show us how he will bring redemption and freedom. So in this life, in, in, that, in the final moment, what he does is God does what he does best. He does by redeeming all things and bringing complete victory. So we know that in that moment, the, the, the Egyptians, including Pharaoh himself, are chasing down the Israelites, saying, no, I want you back. Just like the devil right now, he hates the fact that you guys believe in Jesus. He would love to have you back. And he's working 24-7, but every time the enemy attacks, those of us who praise God, who stay with our faith in the Lord, the Lord works to bring destruction on the enemy's, enemy's camp, uh, camp. So what happens? They pass through the, the, through the Red Sea, and God closes the water, so Pharaoh and all of his chariots are destroyed. Now, even if they wanted to be slaves again, they cannot. Egypt is completely wiped out. That's how God brings glory to his name and blessing to his people. You know, friends, um, <clears throat> this is the first time we do this, but uh, as David's been mentioning in our, in our, in our uh, announcements, um, I'm inviting you to come and have a moment to gather with brothers and sisters. I don't know if you guys are okay, but, you know, like I, like I was mentioning the last week, I was alone, and it's so different. Being with people, with my wife and my, my, my son, it's like literally day, night, night and day. And a lot of us, because of the pandemic, we are forced to be separate. But I'm inviting us to start coming back together. And it's not a Bible study. You don't have to come this Thursday or, or, or Saturday. You don't have to come because you read the Bible. But just come with an open mind and open heart to be ready to listen to each other's stories and hear God's voice. I'm just putting my phone number on, on, the, on the screen here. It's on your bulletin. It's on the first page. Just simply tell me when you're going to come, Thursday night or Saturday. But really, it's an opportunity for us to build this family again, to build this movement of becoming people of faith again in a stronger way. And I, I really believe that those of us who really do want to hold on to our faith, you will see God do good in your life. If your life is perfect and you're fine, then you don't have to come. But if you want to see, not just for your family, but for your city, for this whole world, something that God does, like he did for the Israelites, showing them freedom, perfect freedom, this is a place for you. Um, but really, it's just for us to connect and be able to see each other's face and to have heart-to-heart -heart conversation. I call it deeper conversation based on the word. Okay? So thank you, guys. Now, back to Exodus. <clears throat> 
Today we're going to talk about the second part of Exodus. The first part is how God delivered the Israelites, how he brought freedom. Now we're talking about how can now the freed people live as freed people. Their identity is new. Literally that crossing the Red Sea is pretty much what happens to you and I. Symbolically, all of us are born through water, right? Going through the water and the people of God in that moment were born as free. But now the question is, how do you live this new life? So, again, you know, as I was mentioning, the history of mankind and God, it's not pretty, right? It's really messy. It's really sad. It's really, like, dysfunctional, right? And no less is that in the case of the story of Exodus. When you read through it, right away, they get saved. They see miracle. There's no one chasing them. They're forever free. And what do the people do? They say, I want to go back. This is too hard. God, I don't want to go to where you want us to go. And they're crying out to God, complaining to God. And what does God do? If I was God, I would have just like smacked them or like punished them. But he gives them what they need. He provides manna. And they want meat. He provides them quail. They need water. He provides water out of the rock. So again, we see this mercy and again and again. And the thing is this. <clears throat> Moses, therefore, continues to become God's messenger, right? Moses is the one that goes to God with all the requests, brings the miracle, right? He go, brings the complaints. God brings his resolution. And then in the, in the middle of it all, it says that the people all responded together to whatever Moses said from God. They made a promise. These people finally had a choice, right? The, the idea is this, that we, the passage we read today, it doesn't say God says, now I own you, you're mine. He says, if you will follow me, you will be my people. And the people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought back their answer back to the Lord. So we see a new relationship forming. Still, God is kind of foreign to these Israelites. These 10 plagues, only three months has passed so far. They're all just like, whoa, what the heck happened? Three months ago, we were slaves, and we saw all these plagues, and we just went through the water. We saw the entire army destroyed. They had a choice. Just like you and I, when we see more of who God is and how good it is, we get to choose. And the people of God said, we will do it. They made an agreement with God. And this very phrase, we will do everything the Lord has said, is repeated multiple times in Exodus. So I want you to get the idea. God didn't just steal the Israelites and say, you're mine and now you're my slaves. No. God says, hey, do you want freedom? Do you want to be my people? The people could have said no, but they said, you know what, we will do it. So God will honor their, their promise. Not only did God promise, but the people promised to follow him. So, but then that's where things get really kind of interesting because as, as Moses continues to deliver the words of God, the laws of God, which are new, the people obviously did not react in a very nice way. If you read Exodus so far, there's a part where um, Moses goes up the mountain He's up there for 40 days, and the Lord inscribes on tablets, stone tablets, the law. He himself takes two large tablets, and he writes the law. The problem is this whole process took 40 days. So as the people of God are still afraid of this foreign God that suddenly you know, is like saving them, is like doing miracles for them, as they're looking at the mountain, Moses is not coming. It's been 40 days, so they decide, you know what? This God failed, right? This God probably killed Moses, and Moses is dead, right? We, are, we, have, we have nothing to do. So they said, you know what? Let's go and make our own God. They do what they do best, right? They learn how to worship idols. So they say, you know, let's make another idol. They'll bring all their gold. They melt it down, and then the golden calf. 
And finally, Moses had this amazing experience with God. He takes his two stone tablets with God's uh, laws that they were going to abide by, that they, they agreed to, their terms and conditions of being the people of God. And he sees these people going crazy, parting like the pagans, and worshiping this golden calf that Moses throws the tablets on the ground, and he gets so furious, and then God sends a plague upon these people as, as punishment. So finally, Moses goes back to the mountain and has a chat with God, and this is what the Lord said. In that moment of frustration, that moment of disappointment, and, this, this, and, and, and breaking the law with God right off, right off the bat, the Lord says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up, up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. God, being truthful and faithful, he still says to them, you know what, I promised to your ancestors that I will bless you. Go to the land, I'll show you. And he says this, I will send an angel before you and drive, drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, my angel, he'll take care of it. You know, he'll, he'll guide you there. Just go there. If, if that's what you want, just have a good life, have a good life. But he says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. See, God is so... Where do you get your emotions of liking, of hating, of anger, of excitement, sadness? God has emotions. And now when you look at this, you might say, wow, how can God say such a thing? How can God feel such anger at people? I mean, you're God. These are people, right? But see, now that I'm a parent, I understand this kind of feeling. See, friends, when I read Exodus again this time, I realized more than anything, the story of the people of God and, 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 and uh, people of God and God is not what many people think. People think God is like the boss and the Israelites are like the employees that have to abide by the law. But I realized deep at the core of this, this is a story of a family. God is the parent and the Israelites are the children, his own kids. I wonder if anyone who are parents here or if you've been a family member, which all we've been, and have you ever witnessed your parents or you as a parent have such a kind of outburst of anger? Can anyone raise their hand and say, no, Pastor Ingwen, I've never seen such an anger in my family. No, Pastor, I as a parent, never have I ever had such a, you know, outburst of anger. Can anyone raise their hand? So it probably means we've heard this, we've seen this many times in our family, and the, the question is why? Anyone who has had a child or has been in a family situation, we know that the family, we love each other so much, we care about each other so much, and that's why we get angry at each other when we are out of line at the same rate of our love. See, again, the book of Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books is actually one book written by Moses called the Torah. It's really a story of how the people of God were born and talks about how they grew from infancy. So I want you to look at Exodus as a story between God, the Father, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit being the parents and the children of Israel being the infants, way at the, at the youngest thing. I want you to think about, you know, uh, especially at, at when you, uh, for those of you who have had infants, 
when you're raising up infants, it is so different, right? There's so much that goes into being a parent, right? Um, you know, it's interesting because I've seen a side of my wife that I haven't seen before, right? Uh, in raising this infant by herself, uh, sometimes, maybe a couple times, I've heard her, like, scream, like, ah! You know? I've never seen such a rage, right? But it's because that's how much you care for a kid and how important the things that as you as a parent are guiding your kid for their sake is so important. But when the kid continues to turn and do something that's out of line, it is right, right, for the parent to express their disapproval. So when God says, I might destroy you on the way, that's not saying, God, that I, I, in my nature, I love to destroy people. But here, as a father, as a mother, to his own, to her own child, and to see how these people, and God is one that knows all things. He knows the depths of their sin and wickedness. And he sees it all and says, just go. I still love you, so I'm going to give you the land, but I, I can't go with you. Later, I will show you what happens at the end. But Moses, being, the, being God's best friend, he helps him cool down. In fact, he, Moses himself had to calm down, right? Because Moses is like, like, like God's best friend trying to raise this new, 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 new people. It's interesting. I want you to see from God's perspective, right? Raising maybe one or two kids, maybe three, five, six, seven is okay. You can handle it. But God is trying to raise 2.5 million people. Right? And I'm not saying every Israelite was deserving destruction, but there was so many of them. Right? We know in the story of the golden calf, one of the tribes, Levites, they did not worship. They stood apart and they didn't agree. But there's so many people that the majority of them were just was rebelling against God, breaking covenant and showing who they really are. Rebellious and people not deserving of God's love. So, you know, that's why God does it again, right? The stones are broken, and Moses goes back up, and God says, I'm not going to help you, but God finally relents and says, okay, let's do it again. So Moses, invite, Moses is invited up to him again, and they make the laws again. God writes on the new tablets. He does it two times. And finally, they add, have you ever wondered why is law important? Again, when I looked at this passage and the history of Israelites before I was married, I didn't understand it. But now that I have a kid, I see it in a whole other perspective, right? I remember it's kind of fading away, but when you have a child, right, when you have an infant that just, you know, in your first time parent, I want you to understand this is God's first time, right, having a nation, right, having a nation be born to him. And so even for God, this is a first time experience, and he himself looks like he's struggling because the kids are not very easy to handle, right? Because look, think about it, right? He had Adam and Eve, Abraham and Isaac, and he had few people. He had relationship with those few, but now trying to raise a whole nation for a purpose, which I will explain later why it's so important to raise up this nation, God is having a hard time. I remember when my son was born, uh, we got, my, my wife and I obviously was very, uh, uh, you know, exciting, but also very uh, uh, not, a, not a difficult moment, but very, like, very stressful, right? Because there's so many things. This little precious life that's so vulnerable has come to life, and you have to do things right. So here is a picture of, of my son was born. Just imagine him being Israel and, and God being the parent, right? I remember the one time 
you know, obviously, like I said, a lot of stress and, and, you know, emotions building up. But one time my wife and I, we argued, we argued about something, and I clearly remember it was like we did it a couple times. But it was about feeding the baby, how to mix the water and the, and the formula right, yeah? You know, it's incredible. When they're infant, even like few drops of uh, water or not, or, or the quality of the water makes some of it so much difference. Because why they're infant? Why do the Israelites need such lengthy and detailed law? Because they're infants. They're not ready to grow and, and become like God. God is raising up a nation, not just so that he could, have, he could make them serve him, but so that this nation can represent him on the earth. And I'll tell you why. I'm just fast-forwarding. The reason why God needs this nation is because the salvation of the world was dependent on the survival of his people. If his people did not make it through, then the salvation of the world, you and I, it all falls apart. Because that was the way that God was going to bring his plan. In, again, remember, God's creation is good, but he's, his creation is not complete without working together with us. So God has so much expectation and dreams for his people. Just like when I saw my son, his life was ahead of us. But if I mess up here, if I don't follow the guidelines and do things carefully according to the law, not however I want to do it, this baby will not make it. I mean, did you guys hear about the story four years ago when uh, an 18-day-old baby died because of a visitor kissing the baby? You know, a little baby, oh, so cute, so cute, you know. Um, but they didn't know that one of them had meningitis, and, and, and the poor little baby died at 18 old. So I only kissed my son in the cheeks and, and the back of his neck, you know, and I can't stop. It's so cute, yeah? But think about it this way. When the baby is an a, a infant, their life is at stake. Their survival is at stake. So therefore, you need extra attention, extra zeal to care for this infant, and these Israelites, you know, again, there have been incredible individuals in this line of, of people, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But again, now that they are a nation, now that they're trying to develop into something amazing, it's taking a whole nother uh, requirement of schedules, principles, procedures. And so when you look at Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, it seems really, really, really difficult it's because how do you make 2.5 million people the people of God? It's very difficult to do. Therefore, I'm so glad I, didn't, I wasn't born in that time because as I was reading the laws, I was like, oh, these are really great, but I don't know if I would have made it, you know. And, and that's true. That's how difficult it was. You know, talking about raising a baby, like I cannot tell you this past Monday uh, when I woke up, I was like, hmm, I got to do something. And I realized, wait, I don't have to do anything. I realized that was the first day off in like a year and a half, like entire day. Of course, I had rest here and there, but an entire 24 hours was the first time in 1.5 years that I had it. And that's exactly what it takes to raise an infant, an infant, right? So here we are. So this story of, of Israel, the nation being born, is what Exodus is about. Don't read it as God, you know, trying to force an individual to do all these things. He's looking at how can an entire nation be born. I am so glad that when I read this story, it's very important for you and I, especially as you go into uh, this week of reading Leviticus, to read this not as a textbook for you, but see it from a historian's perspective. I want you to take a step back and look at the 
the first five books of the Bible as a record of history. And the way I want you to read it is as, a, as an outsider. The only way that that story in the Genesis through Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy makes sense to you is through Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Jesus, this whole Bible would have no relevance to us. So I want to invite you to look at the Bible, to be looking at it, especially Leviticus, and, and look at the, read the laws and how difficult it was to be a perfect uh, a people of God and say, thank you, Jesus, that you fulfill this on my behalf. Read through the Leviticus and the giving of the law and say, God, thank you that I cannot accomplish this, but thank you for accomplishing this for me so I can be part of your family. And again, why was the law so tough? Because literally this nation, whether they succeeded or not in getting to the promised land and continuing to believe in God, right, as a nation, had the most important thing in the universe in the balance, the salvation of the world. It's kind of like the Olympics, right? The Olympics, those athletes get trained in a certain way that none of us will probably ever experience. I know some of you guys are athletes. You've done varsity. You guys are in club. You guys love to work out. But the way that these Olympic people work out currently right now and are on the stage, congrats to a few of the people who won the gold medal already. Their assignment, their training, their regiment, their guidelines, the laws upon them, the commands they have to follow, they have to do is so much more tough. Why? Because they're, what they're achieving is so much greater. So again, the people of Israel, thank God that they did it and not us because we probably would have failed. They had it so tough because through their success and their obedience to God, God had a plan to save the entire world. So again, when you read the first five books of the Bible, be thankful to the Israelites for suffering so much to keep God's word. Because the, their, their, the fruit of their obedience was salvation for you and me and for the entire world. So cheer them on, right? Don't, don't, be, don't be angry. But, but there is something that as we read the law of God, as infants ourselves, as people born again into the family of God, and now knowing God as our Father, there's something in the laws that you and I have to adopt. We cannot adopt all 613 laws and commands in the Bible that was for the Olympians, the Israelites, they had to save the world. But for us, we have to not, not necessarily obey what the, what the letters say, but understand what God's heart is in the law. And I want to tell you today, it's not very complicated. It's very simple. In fact, you already know what is the point of the law for you and I today who are not Israelites. Here's the Ten Commandments, right? Moses received the Ten Commandments, and everything else that he de details in the commands that God gives are a commentary, are, 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 are fleshing out what the Ten Commands mean. Now, you might think that, I'm just going to go through this, you may think that this is a lot of things, but it actually really boils down to two commandments. So number one says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have only one God, meaning only one master. Right? There's no other God in this world who created you, who knows what's best for you, who's able to do the greatest thing in your life. And God is saying, trust me, and it's for your good, right? Number two, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. We know exactly why. Because the moment you do that, the moment you are becoming a slave to what you worship. 
Number three says, you shall not take the name of God in vain. God's name is holy. God's name is uh, it's set apart. There's no other name like God, and we honor his name, the name Jesus that's been given to us. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because, again, this Sabbath was, was not created for the sake of God. It was created for our sake so we can be rested, just like I mentioned, right? I, when my wife comes back, I'm going to try to negotiate with her so I can have Mondays off. And then I'll give her another day off. Because I remember her, like, you know, telling me, I just need a day off. And I'm like, well, you had this afternoon off, right? I'll take care of the baby this, this morning, you, you know. But no, there's a difference. A whole day is what you need, okay? Everyone needs that. So number five, honor your father and your mother. Number four, number six says, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not lie. Number 10, you shall not covet. Does anyone here say, I don't agree with some of these laws? No. These are things that we all agree and we all say, just like the Israelites, yeah, we'll follow you. But the problem is we just can't. It's like something else within us just wants to keep rebelling and do it not in this perfect way. So again, what is the point of the law? It really boils down to two. Right here, the first four is talking about how to love God. What in your life, in your relationship matters to honoring God as your father, honoring God as the one to whom your life is, is dependent, to whom your life is deserving. You are supposed to pour out all of your love and your, your, your uh, decisions and all of your actions in life is to love God. And then finally, the last six is simply how to love others. And I'm just giving you guys a cheat code to the, to the first uh, five books of the Bible. This is it. Every single command either helps you love God or helps you love others. So when you read through the many, 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 many commands, you can, you can clearly understand at the heart of it, it's either helping you to love God or others. That's the heart of why God gave us the law. And I don't have to make that up. Jesus himself said this. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I didn't put these two commandments because I already did. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likewise, love your neighbors as yourself. That's it. But obviously, the Israelites had to experience the A to Z of it, and it was so hard. But those that obeyed, it was so worth it, and they succeeded, right? Many failed, but many succeeded, and that's why we have Jesus today, and we are now also blessed in this. So, friends, again, let me summarize. Why did God give us the law? Number one, there's three things that I want to share. Number one is it shows us how far we are from God. See, we may think that, God, you're unfair. You are too stifling. You are too old-fashioned. Why do you make it so hard? No, no, no. God is allowing the law to reveal to us how broken, wicked, sinful, and weak we are. It's not a good place, but it's a very important place. Just like when you go to the doctor, it's not sometimes for happy reasons, but we need to go to the doctor so that we can know what's wrong, what medication, what changes we need to do it. I like my primary care doctor. He makes me uh, pull blood every time I visit him. And I can see exactly how my cholesterol has been improving. I can see exactly how everything, right now I'm normal. Praise the Lord. Amen. But that is so important. Imagine me living my life wondering why is everything going wrong without, the, without, being a, without there being a doctor to tell me, 
Pastor Ingwald, you got to stop drinking these things that are actually the, the, you know, like ginseng, right? Like he was telling me ginseng and this health product, they're actually damaging your liver. My liver count was high. And so when I got rid of that, you know, all these great things. But it became because the law revealed the condition of our need to follow God, right? The law helps you see the result of your living for your flesh and your sin and for other idols, the consequences. The law helps you. The law is literally a mirror. So when you read the law, it might not feel good, but you need that. That's the medicine that we need to realize I need a doctor. I need God. I, I, I realize, wow, I didn't know I was so proud, but the law will help us to be humble and get to the place we need. I remember uh, my, my son, remember the one time he was having diarrhea and we just had no clue, right? We took x-rays, like we paid all this money for all these tests and it was simple. The truth was he just needed probiotics, a different kind of probiotics. So we gave him like this thing that had the uh, infant bacteria, whatever something, instantly it was healed. And we did all these things because we had no idea what was wrong. But God gives us a law to help us to see, England, you're headed straight to a cliff. And the law will help you see, wow, and makes you convinced it's true. I got to turn my way. Second, it is, again, for our good, right? Because, again, for us to become the people of God, for us to live in the freedom, right? God is willing to deliver you every time you fall into sin. God is willing to deliver you every time you give into your weakness, every time you have strongholds. God is willing to deliver you a thousand times upon thousands, but he can also help you walk away and live a different life, right? These Israelites, they never experienced the promised land yet, so they thought what they had was better. But if you trusted God and followed him, they will reach the promised land, and they'll realize God is good. The law helps us to understand what is good and what is evil. We have to accept the one who created good to define for us what is good. Um, third one, the final one, the most important reason why the law was given. If we do not understand this reason, we will get offended at God and we'll never be able to trust him. The reason why the law was needed was because God wanted to be with us again. Because sin has separated us from the eternal God. We were on a road to curse. Everything apart from the one, only one who's good is full of curse. This life that you and I live is cursed life. Life in the flesh is coming to an end. The, the end is very clear that there's no salvation in this life apart from God. Everything you do, everyone you love, everything that you have is meaningless. It will turn to dust unless you have God who creates life living inside of you. But the law was for them, the Israelites, thank God, not for us, for them, the only way to be with God. And God is a truthful God. He will not say, you know what, you can cut the corners. You just forget, you know, forget uh, uh, commandment seven through nine. You can, you can do that if you want. No, no, no. He has to be fully honest, fully truthful. And we know that we're so thankful that today we're not with God because of obeying the law. We are with God today by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, by our, simply by our faith, because the gift of God, not a work of ourselves. But for the Israelites, that was the only thing. Now, again, finally, the way that, you know, we see this story today, it was not a very happy, happy story. God was angry, and just like any parent, rightfully so, who gave their life, 
who gave everything and their kid rebels, they get not happy, but angry like all of you guys admitted. But Moses goes to the Lord and says this. Moses has a one-on-one with, with his best friend, with this, with this person that's telling him to lead this nation. He's saying, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Moses finally goes to God and says, God, I thank you that for the last two times, so 40 days I was with you, you gave me these laws, I delivered a law to you, but you haven't told me who you are. See, Moses got it. The reason what God wants for us is not to just obey the law. The Lord wants us to focus on being near to God. See, if if being with God is the goal of your life, to love God is the goal of your life, the law is nothing. doesn't matter how difficult, because you know why? We all know this. When you love somebody, there is nothing that you would not do to please that person and to love that person, right? Where do we get that sense of love? It's something God gave us. Love overcomes any obstacle, right? As, you know, as I'm thinking about right now in my life, you know, temporarily my wife and my kids are away. I'll see them in two and a half months. And I'm thinking, wow, like how important was that love relationship in my life? When I, when I had it, I didn't really understand. I knew it, right? But it was just like a blur. But now that I have a moment to kind of just take a pause, take, take my Sabbath, and just, whew, like that was crazy with the pandemic and everything. Now I realize, wow, how important they were and how everything I do and every, every effort I do to succeed and to, be, and to, and to, and to um, be excellent is not for my sake, but it's for them. And if that is how you view God, if, and, and there's no law that will stand in the way of you saying, I will do it for the sake of him. That's really what God wanted. God wanted to see not how good you are obeying the test, but he wanted to test you and see the truth of your love for him because that is how God loves us. And God is looking not for infants, but he's waiting for equals, for friends. Just like Jesus, right? He said, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. Ever since the beginning, God wanted to share the world with us. In fact, Romans 8 says, we are co-heirs with Christ. God wants us to grow up, right? The law is to help you grow up, but the point of it is to be with God in love. So God says, so next verse, God says, Moses says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Don't harm them, God, okay? You did so much to save them. Everybody knows the whole world is watching. Don't kill them. But more importantly, he says, I want to know you. Teach me your ways. That means not, don't teach me your commands. Like, I get it, the requirements, but your ways. What is your heart really like? And then the Lord replied. He was really pleased. said, you know what? I'm going to give you something better than my command. I'm going to give you my presence. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. That's who God truly is. Again, the law was necessary for the survival of this infant so he could grow up. Because, you know, honestly, guys, after their infant, it gets easier. Okay, now we give the baby kind of like what we eat, right? It's, it's so much easier now to take care of the baby because the baby has grown. But to get to that point, it, you have to go through the law. But God says, no, no, no. It's not the law I'm giving you. I'm not a teacher. I am your lover. I am your father. I am one with you. I am your God. I'll give you myself. 
And then Moses rightly says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And the beautiful thing, you can read this later, God passes but God reveals himself to Moses by saying, I, the Lord, the slow to anger and compassionate. I am the one who is good. He allows his goodness to pass in front of him, and it reveals his nature, which is good, which is merciful, which is kind. So those that were willing to accept, as they promised, to go through the law, eventually discovered God, and that God is truly good, and that he is worthy of love. I wonder, this is the story that has to happen in all of our lives as we allow the word of God to instruct us and to even show how shortly, how, how fallen short we are to the glory of God. There comes a point where we realize, wow, God is worthy in, my, in our lives. See, today in our passage, this is why God brought out the Israelites from the slavery. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation friends i want to ask this question as we reflect on the meaning on, on what the israelites went through in our own lives is having god the superior and the most important goal in your life if you forget that part, everything that God is trying to do in your life does not make sense. But I believe right now the Lord's inviting us to come and allow him to be God, to accept him as our father. So praise team can come up as we take a moment to pray. To have God with us was the ultimate goal why God brought Israel out of Egypt. It wasn't just to improve them, just like some mad scientist who just wanted like an upgrade to, the, to this, his creation. No, he wanted to be with them. And the good news is we no longer need the law right now to be with God. We are with God by the pure love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I want us to take a moment as I thought about, you know, the whole back to church thing right now. You know, it's a physical thing we're trying to do, have you guys physically present. But there's something more deeper I think has to happen in each and every one of us. It's to back to who we really are, back to God's heart. And I want you to just uh, take a moment to pray with me right now. Father God, sometimes it feels, we feel like just like the Israelites, many of them did not understand why you were making them do all these things. Many of them didn't understand the benefit of this law. And some of us have lost sight of why we're living. But it's to have you. And I thank you that, Lord, what the Israelites, what Moses, Abraham, all these people were searching for, we have already found. We already have you with us, God. Let us not forget that. And let us now exalt you as the center of our lives. And, Lord, let us welcome your leadership and your care and your guidance in our lives as our Father. Friends, I want to invite you today to do that again, to just accept God's invitation to be his people. Would you accept his role as the Father in your life? Would you trust him right now? Would you open up your heart and say, God, I will follow you because you are worth it. Just say the simple prayer right now. Lord, I want to follow you because I want to be with you. It's such a simple thing, but it changes everything in your life. God, 
I want to follow you because I want to be with you. So, Lord, do it, Lord God. Pour your blessing out. Bring life that is abundant to each and every one of us who wants to follow you because we want to have you. Just like the Israelites, Lord, they had to discover over through many suffering and trials that the goal of their life is to have God. Lord, you are everything to us. You are the most precious to us. We want to come back to you as our Father. So we'll work that in each and every one of us, Lord. Set us free. Set us free, Lord. We're no longer under condemnation and the requirements of the law. But, Lord, we are simply to receive you as Father. So, Lord, come and be who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name.